One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Live Life Better, brought to you by Virgin. I'm Melissa Hemsley, and in this series, we're looking at how we can enhance our lives by becoming more in tune with our senses. We'll be exploring sound, sight, smell, and touch, all the way through to that inner gut feeling, the so-called sixth sense. And following on from our brilliant interview with Sam Bompas of sensory experts Bompas and Parr, this time we're focusing in on the sense of sight, and we're taking a look at how the visual world can make our lives better. I'm feeling very lucky today to be joined by a group of guests from different disciplines. Firstly, we've got Nina Reiner. She's the founder of Chroma Yoga, which is a revolutionary new approach to yoga, combining light and colour therapy techniques. Hello, Nina. Hello. Then we've got Vicky King, a London-based photographer whose unmistakable work stands out for its otherworldly use of colour, light and texture, and has been hailed by the likes of Vogue and ID magazine. Hello. Hi, nice to meet you. And on the line from Stockholm, we have got Carl Ryberg, an architect and psychologist whose new book, Light Your Life, explores the art of using light for health and happiness. Carl, hello. Hello, hi. Thank you, everybody, for joining me. OK, let's kick it off. Um, Nina. Yes. Talk to me about why the visual world is so important to you and how you've implemented that in Chroma Yoga. I, I mean, I think visually. Whenever I need to remember stuff, I always think in a pattern or in some sort of shape or something that associates the word or number with something visual. And, I mean, I've done a variety of creative things and jobs in my life. I was previously a fashion designer before this. And so creating visual stuff is just what I'm interested in. But I suppose how I kind of came to sort of create Chroma Yoga was really going to installation art and seeing the impact that that had on people and how popular it is. So I went to a show called Light Show at the Haywood, I think it was about three or four years ago, and it was all different artists using light and colour. And even like the most simple installations that had a red room or just a green room or whatever, people were really, it had a really profound effect on people around me and myself and it also really provokes an emotional response mm. as well and so that's the kind of where that sort of seed sort of planted in my head to sort of create something visual for that could be paired with something like yoga or another style of fitness mm. and and sight is for most people I think the dominant sense isn't it I would agree yeah, yeah. and what about you Vicky 
your photography is is so beautiful and full of colour and it's nice that magazine has said about you. Sorry, it's a bit awkward when people read things to you, isn't it, that <laughs> other people have said. <laughs> um, they've said, inhabiting somewhere else, an eternally sunny place, their faces are washed with warm hues of orange and pink. And that just makes me feel alive already, just, just reading that about your work. I think... The way that I think about photography and the kind of work that I make, I think maybe has something to do with the the fact that it sort of came into my life in this way that it did feel like quite a profound experience, like me discovering it. Like I left school when I was 14 because I wasn't like very well. And I think when you're when you've left like academic education with no qualifications like a lot of doors maybe are closed to you so I spent a bunch of time just feeling very creative and very frustrated Mm. and very unsure about what I was going to do with my future I'm from Leicester and when I was about 20 I saved up enough money to come and move down to London to do a foundation course and I still didn't have a clear idea of what I was supposed to do but I was in like a good art college and You know, I knew that it was supposed to be something creative. And then right at the end of the year, we did photography. And I really think that it was, it sounds really cheesy, but it was like a a spotlight kind of going off in my head. And I just became very obsessed with it very quickly because it's something that I've been looking for. Like this thing that I just felt able to pour all of my creative energy into. And Was it like a spiritual awakening? It's <laughs> a little bit, but I, I think that creativity kind of can have that role in your life. Like I truly believe that, and I think it gave me a lot of purpose. I just thought I have to do this, so I kind of took steps to study it, do a degree in it, learn about photography as much as I could, and after then, like, sort of slowly go into being able to work as a photographer freelance mm. so I mean yeah seeing is everything like visual art is everything to me do you ever feel overly stimulated sometimes but I think I'm quite picky like with what I like to take pictures of I, I kind of envy sometimes photographers that can like make something incredible like out of like a grey London building but I think I'm a bit more dramatic than that like I want things to kind of have like a sense of like a higher experience about them. Like I'm really interested in thinking about photography almost as this thing between real life and fantasy. So I'm trying to make work that somehow sits between those two places. So it depends on the setting, yeah. I think. Like I have experienced that when I'm in like my perfect place or the light is this like perfect like shade of like and it just know, seems like, like so easy. Or something. Yeah, and then you're just like, oh my goodness. Like, it's it's kind of like experiencing like reality on like a higher level than just, I don't know, when you're not taking pictures. Yeah. Like it kind of shuts off the rest of your brain, or it does for me anyway, when I'm like... And it's all thinking, you can see, all you can yes. feel. And it's like the saddest thing when you see something and you don't have your camera. Like, I remember all the pictures that I didn't get. <laughs> the ones that could have been, the, the ones, ones that got away. Honestly, yeah, it's like sad, small little But is it lovely moment. that you got them and didn't have to share them with anyone in a way? Maybe. <laughs> I haven't got to that. Well, yet. listen, we're going to bring in Carl now so we can chat to Carl. So Light Your Life, The Art of Using Light for Health and Happiness. Would you tell us a little bit about your book and, and you growing up in Denmark and Sweden and how that's affected the way that you see light and why you wanted to write about it and share it with the world? Uh, Scandinavian countries, I mean, it's the top of the world in one sense. And in summer, all the birds come from Africa. They migrate here to celebrate summer, which is stunning. 
but then the extremes is the dark winter season, so the swings between light and darkness are extreme up here, and uh, people suffer from it. Of course, biologically, we originated from Africa, which means fairly steady light with no large variations between seasons, and then eventually we migrated up to northern or southern hemispheres. Growing up in that shapes our culture, it shapes animals and humans too, of course. In the dark season, which means Christmas, New Year's, people hibernate and they lock up and there's people overeat to compensate for the lack of light. We have binging on carbohydrates, sugar, alcohol is involved too as a compensation, but it shapes our culture and it shapes our art. It means that when we've got the dark season, which is in our, our day ends at three, and in the summer, it's the opposite. We have too much light and people get maniac from excessive light. And it's just very special culture we live in, really. That sounds amazing. Could, could you tell me a bit about, I've always wanted to know about um, Higa. Am I saying it right? Higa is a Thank Danish you. word. <laughs> and I know Higa. what you mean. Higa is very big in the UK. Higa would, the English equivalent would be cosy. Uh, to cuddle up, uh, to enjoy the warmth, good food, good light, candlelight, friends, mm. music. I'm glad you uh, said about candlelight because I've been experimenting with um, waking up with candlelight. So obviously I have to get up and light the match, but instead of turning on my light or sort of really bad bedroom hygiene, which is feeling my way around with the light from my phone, I've been using candles to wake up and then candles to to wind down in the evening. Have I got that right? It's a tradition because candlelight is the original artificial light source. Say a million years ago, humans learned the art of domesticating fire. Until then, they just were dependent on sun and moon and then there was darkness at night. But then they learned fire and eventually candles, which we still use. So it's the oldest artificial light source around but it is more than that, because early humans also learned that fire was protection. If you had fire in your cave, no animal would attack you. So fire meant cooking, it meant safety, it meant light, and it still does. So we're genetically programmed to hygge, to relax, to cuddle up when we get candlelight. Mm. And what about, um, I, I love the bit you, you talk about eye yoga. Is that something that we could do with uh, alone and with our friends? And I wanted to of course, hear um, of course. about what Nina thought as well, obviously being a yoga expert. So could you tell us a little bit about eye yoga? I might do some now while you're describing it to everyone. You, you can do it while I describe it. Okay, so let, right, uh, let's all do some eye yoga. So the human body was made for constant motion. We're, our skeleton, our muscles are meant for running, moving, and we sit still all day in an office. We move too little. Same thing with the eye muscles. The eye muscles are the fastest muscles in the entire body. And looking at a mobile phone, sitting at an office desk, our eye muscles get very passive. We stare, we ogle, we just look at small objects that are close up. Whereas in nature, the healthy human eye moves three to five times per second. Looking at this and that and what's going on in the corner of your eye, it's a survival instinct. So modern people have lazy eyes and lazy bodies and lazy everything. And to retrain these muscles is the essence of eye yoga. It was invented back in the 1920s by a Dr. Bates in the US, 
who was working with school children and found that training the eyes, you could often discard the glasses and regain a natural vision, so to say. So you've got some some exercises for people to do with that. And, and Nina, while we're on the subject of yoga, I wanted to know about people that come to your class and maybe what do they say when they finished time with you doing chrome yoga? What, what sort of emotions are they feeling or what's been stimulated? What do they say? Everyone's got their own perception and reaction to colour. Because, I mean, we all have our own individual experience of it because we all see colour differently. But in terms of like the kind of emotional impact that it has on people, um, especially in the winter. Um, what we do in the morning in our class is a, a yellow class and it's like a really nice, like warm sunlight yellow that you usually get, like if, if you imagine it in the summer and it's mm. like that really like deep hue. And the kind of effect that that has on people is it just it just puts them in a better mood just because it's just from going outside into the from the dark into a, a room which is... As, which is a yellow room, which is associated with like warmth, the sun, the summer, like sun. It just has that psychological impact. And it makes that difference. Mm. Um, and then we also, with those classes, we also finish on a kind of like flash. Well, around like fifteen or twenty minutes of blue light. We also do blue classes in the afternoons as well, when people are kind of like experiencing that sort of midday slump because mm. of the research that goes into blue light and how that can actually suppresses a hormone in your brain called melatonin, which is the hormone that kind of makes you go to sleep. And if we don't get enough blue light in the in the winter months, then that imbalance can have quite a big effect on our mood and also um, our sleep. And people get a thing called seasonal affective disorder. Um, and so... A lot of people think what we do is like colour yoga and it's much more grounded in the kind of scientific research that goes into light therapy and the effect that that has on the body and the brain. Um, and so, yeah, in the in the mornings we have kind of like yellow or blue classes and then in the evenings we do the sort of more red and orange hues to replicate that um, effect that... Carl was just talking about in terms of candlelight and how our brains have like evolved over time to associate that with um, with comfort and winding down and things like that. Nina, can any if people can't get to your classes in Shoreditch, mm -hmm. can they do? Is there anything they can do at home or to, to to replicate that sort of feeling? And yeah, I mean, like I have a. So you were talking about waking up with candlelight. I have like a sunlight clock. So I at like seven a.m. my my clock slowly gets brighter and that's how I wake up rather than like looking at my phone or switching my other cold lamp on. I think the key is in terms of like home lighting and comfort is that really in the evening you want to avoid blue light so you want to avoid looking at your phone or your laptop because they are really strong emitters of blue light and swapping any kind of like cold white light bulbs for amber ones or ones that have more of a, a warmer orange hue. More candly. Yeah, much more candly. I mean, obviously the ideal is candlelight, but I don't think that's necessarily realistic for a lot of people. And just, you know, everyone can do like breathing exercises or or there's lots of yoga on the internet as well, but obviously our classes are very designed around different points in the day and they are, we do have the best teachers in London. So I would recommend coming Everyone to Chrome Yoga. Everyone get down here. <laughs> <Chrome> <laughs> if yoga you shortage. can, but if you can't, then yeah, there's lots of ways that you can 
essentially change your home environment to make sure that you're getting the best kind of sleep possible. And how about some paint as well? Paint in your bedroom? Yeah, and... I mean, like, or clothes. Like, it's, yeah. uh, I mean, everyone has a tendency to wear dark clothes in the winter because that's kind of what you feel like. But actually wearing bright colours can also have a completely different effect on your mood. So, yeah, you could challenge yourself to have, like, a little seven-day, I'm going to only wear, a like, a red yellow orange blue yeah, yeah challenge and see ne- how that feels but nina's wearing a lovely pink pinky red coral yeah, yes. very, very 2019 apparently it's, <laughs> apparently it's the color um which that her color is cheering me up same i put on pink lipstick and yeah. the rest of my face can you know be a mess but the pink lipstick helps me out yeah, feeling exactly. a bit more perky um vicky um I would love to you to describe a picture to us and, yeah, get one out for us. But I want to talk to you about what colours speak most to you and if you, what time of day you feel um, most inspired to work or stimulated. It's actually interesting that everyone's brought up candlelight because some of my pictures that I bought are completely lit with fire. Like I'm quite obsessed with like orange and blue together. So I think times of day-wise, like that bit where it goes past the last bit of the sun and you just have that like kind of last little ray of like red, but then the sky is kind of gone like midnight blue. Like mm. I think that's so beautiful. And actually I remember going to Dublin recently and they still have those old street lamps, these really dim, like warm orange ones. And when the sun was like going down and the light was all blue, the whole city was just lit up with these little orange flames. Like, it was really beautiful. I wish we were doing this with a window so we could watch the sunset. That would feel really nice. <laughs> I actually went through a whole stage where I got so obsessed with uh, with firelight. And I mean, it's interesting to hear like the connotations that you were talking about, Carl, with like protection. But I just had a very sort of intuitive like draw to it. So I started making these portraits of people where it was just lit with candles. And then this one is a painting that was done by my sister and we lit it with candles as well. What <laughs> a talented family. It's this beautiful, peaceful, orange-lit picture. Um, I'm very bad at describing <laughs> what I'm seeing. <laughs> it's um, a difficult one to describe. But I feel sort of sucked into that the blues there and the oranges. So you, you're happy to shoot any time of day, but the candle, the candle, the candle moments of the day? <laughs> I mean... I, I prefer using natural light. So if we're talking about like shooting something purely with natural light, there are certain points of day that aren't so fun to use. So for instance, like high summer, like the height of 2 p.m. midday sun is like no photographer's Great. dream lighting. So you can have a siesta then. Yeah. I mean, it's just like super harsh and like it's not flattering and like it just blows everything out. Like color wise, it just kind of drains like the tones from everything. Um, but morning... Um, later into the afternoon. I love shooting at night. Even like a grey day is quite beautiful. Like it's a kind of like a big soft box. Like the sky just kind of makes everything really silvery. And, and the golden soft. hour. The golden hour is obviously, everyone loves that. <laughs> For anyone who doesn't know what the golden hour is, explain as a um, photographer. The golden hour is when the sun is going down and then you get that orange light at the end of the day. That's for when to do your selfies, everyone. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Selfie time, the golden hour. We, we get it like sporadically in the UK, but I guess like California and golden hour is like the pinnacle of like amazing sunshine. 
that's why everyone wants to go there. <laughs> um, Carl, Carl in Stockholm. Um, yes. Nina mentioned um, the seasonal affective disorder that lots of people suffer from and you talk about the winter blues. Can you talk to us more about that and your tips for for combating it and and really not trying not to get too down in the winter? It's estimated that some 30% of the Nordic population suffer from SAD. 30% are on sick leave and related. You got the flu, you got the blues, the lack of energy, sleeping in. And um, so ideally you should sleep in during the winter. Um, some simple health tips. One goes like this because artificial light, candlelight, electric light is usually very weak. And to give you some numbers, the European Commission, a standard says that in your office, on your working desk, you should have at least 500 lux. That's considered healthy illumination. Outdoors, on a sunny day, you don't have 500 lux. You have 100,000 lux. So a human brain is used to vast quantities of light. And when it gets too little, it falls asleep. And somebody mentioned melatonin, which mm-hmm. is generated during darkness. It's a sleep hormone that the brain generates. And it makes a lot of sense to sleep during darkness, but it makes no sense to sleep for three months, of course. Some antidotes can be given. One is consuming more blue light during noontime. And ideally go outdoors at noontime, because even on a misty, overcast day, you'll easily get some 5,000 lux because the volume of the sky is so vast. And 5,000 lux is 10 times more than you get in your office. So go out for a lunch walk, sit in the park, chat to the birds, recharge your brain. The brain eats light, much like the tummy eats food, the brain eats light, feeds on light. And that's the idea how to feed your brain, how to feed your eyes with quality light. Hmm. And you said... um... In the winter, it's good to sleep a bit more, but of course not sleep for three months. You yourself, you know, you're a very busy man. You have uh, your books, you're a, an architect and psychologist, and you run the Monochrome Institute uh, in Stockholm. Do you find yourself more productive? Um, or, or when is your most productive time? When do you like to work most? I'm a night owl. I like to work at night. <laughs> so I'm not Because you're chatting yeah. to the birds all day. Well, in a sense, yes. Yeah. Uh, but it also means that we're all different. Yeah. Men, women, young, the old, etc., larks and owls, as we're called, all have different body rhythms, different light clocks, different light rhythms. And to find out much like your diet, are you vegetarian or do you want your proteins or your fish, whatever, what are the light sources that you prefer? How to feed your brain properly? The eyes and the brain feed on light. And the idea behind the book was to make a cookbook for the brain, how to feed your brain, what do your eyes eat, and find out your personal light diet, what suits you. Hmm. I have no. I have well, actually, always. I've never been to Stockholm, and I've always wanted to. Um, well, I used to want to have a Swedish boyfriend who'd take me to a midsummer festival, but never, never found a Swedish boyfriend. Could you? Um, do you it's have? It's never too late. No. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> do you? Um, do you have a celebration in the winter? Is there anything that um, gets no, people Christmas, through the winter? Christmas. Just Christmas. So, uh, so it's a long slog now till spring, isn't it? Uh, there is Easter comes in because these are ancient celebrations, light celebrations. The midwinter, the winter solstice, 
then you have equinox, which is Easter, or Easter being the first full moon by equinox, and then midsummer, which is the sun, summer solstice. Those were celebrated by the Celts, by the old Brits. They were celebrated by the Romans, the Chinese, and the Scandinavians, and the Hindus. So these light festivals are our body clocks. Mm. And you just mentioned um, the moon. Is there anything special we could do under moonlight that would be good for us? Skinny dipping, I don't know, walks walks in the parks. Is, is moonlight powerful for us? Moonlight has some interesting qualities. First, the moon is the most distant object you can ever put your gaze on. So for the eye yoga, modern people are nearsighted. They're myopic, as we call them. They look at objects that are way too close. The farthest object you can ever discover is the moon. So train your eyes to look at that full moon, look at the craters, and look at something that's really distant. Then it's your connection to, call it the universe, the cosmos, the galaxy. The planets are many, and the galaxy is a big place. So it also rules your seasonal clock. And it's also known that it ruins your hormones. Mm. Menstruations are clocked by the moon, more or less, give or take a day or two because moonlight is polarized. You don't realize that, but reflected light always becomes polarized. Polarized light has special biological qualities, affects humans' emotions, and this is known for a long time, that animals react to the full moon, humans react to the full moon. And uh, just saying the lunatic strongly reacts to the full moon, of course. Yeah, it's fascinating. The moon. I'm, I'm really fascinated by the moon. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Finding happiness in a satisfying and fulfilling career can be a challenge. But when you throw additional barriers into the mix, the idea of job satisfaction can seem like an unattainable goal. Why don't you start by telling me a little bit about the most shameful mistake you've ever made in your life. Shameful mistake. And hold, hold, hold fire. I asked that yeah. just, to, just to offer a sense of what is effectively the question I'm asked every time I apply for a job. Breaking Barriers is a groundbreaking podcast series. 
In each episode, two people come together to have an open and frank conversation about barriers in the workplace. I'm Yasmin Abdel Majid, and I'll be guiding you through each episode. The whole series is available right now on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you happen to be listening. Breaking Barriers, an original podcast from Virgin. Nina, yes. um, just having a think about your classes, and mm-hmm. I'm really excited to come to one. Do you have more men or, wi- or women coming? Is it? Well, actually, I think, I mean, I used to, I'm not a yoga teacher, by the way. I'm I'm an art director. Everyone thinks I'm a yoga teacher. But before I started, I go to quite a lot of yoga classes. And so, obviously, class format offerings like yoga or Pilates or anything actually now um, is usually female dominated. And whereas men prefer to just go to the gym and just like do weights or anything strength based, generalizing here. But in our studio, there's actually quite a lot of men coming now. And I think it's because we have quite a modern approach. A lot of people find yoga intimidating sometimes because they think it's um all spiritual and um you know there's going to be gongs everywhere and you know incense and you know there is there is yoga like that and it's totally you know accessible and uh to, for lots of different types of people but i think there's a lot of people who want to experience yoga in a kind of modern setting which is what we kind of provide chroma yoga isn't like a fusion yoga we're not doing like boxing and yoga or like you know beer yoga or dog yoga or anything like that it's It's not a trend yeah (laughs) we do it's nothing about the yoga is different and it's all very traditional in that sense but it's just more the environment that it's housed in is what is totally unique and along with the light and the color we also have our own bespoke soundscapes and bespoke scents as well so it's like a full-on multi-sensory experience Um, And yeah, no one's doing that at the moment. So it's quite a a unique experience, which I think a lot of men are actually kind of not scared to try. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, we do have. Yeah, I'd say it's like about 20 percent men, 80 percent women at the moment, which is good. And what happens during Shavasana? The bit, the bit, the the most delicious bit, I always think the bit at the end where you lie down and often are encouraged to close your eyes. Yeah. Does something happen then? Well, I mean, the depending on how many people in the class, sometimes you get like a nice massage, as you usually do in Sushavasana. But um, the the lights change throughout the class. So they're not just totally static one colour. So the lights will dim and then the it's just an opportunity to actually kind of um, take everything in and listen to the soundscape and kind of smell the scent that's um, being pumped into the room and like actually just kind of bring your focus in, inward. The whole the whole kind of I- thinking behind the idea is about eliminating as many distractions as possible as you usually get in fitness or yoga classes or studios. Um, so and I'm very interested in kind of trance states um, mm. and kind of access and, and and meditation because I'm a person that's very um, easily distracted and my brain is always going at like 100 miles per hour. So it's those those techniques are kind of designed to sort of stop you from thinking. So Which is so welcome for, for a lot of people, yeah, isn't it? It's yeah. nice not to think for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's, you know, the way to meditation. So it's really beneficial. Thank you for that. And Vicky, um, you know, with 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 phones these days, everyone's sort of a budding photographer, aren't we? And we've always, um, lots of people 
use filters now and all sorts of things. Um, if if there's people listening now, I mean, I myself would like this. Do you have any tips for when taking a photo or capturing a moment, how to sort of, I don't know, think differently about it or see it in a, in a different way? Got any ideas for us? Without giving away all your trade secrets. Yeah, <laughs> well, how can I take a better picture or enjoy a scene more? Um, I think without sort of uh, going straight to cliches, but yeah. I feel like you have to feel it. You have to... Uh, you have to shoot what you love, essentially, yeah. like something that enraptures you, like you, you can't get out of your head. Yeah. So I think that's probably the purest and the most important thing, like whether it's something that you're just discovering on the street and like it's a pure documentation of what's in front of you or whether it's something that you're creating um, out of nothing, like it's a it's a set, it's a a construction of reality opposed to like a pure document I think it's just got to be something that you want to express like yeah I'm a bit of an old school photographer and I use film a lot so I'm not saying that you have to use film to get a good picture but I think the practice of using film is maybe something that could be pushed into even using your digital camera or your phone but just sort of stopping and thinking before you take the image, like don't take a million, just kind of treat it as though it's something a little bit more precious. Like when you're shooting with a film camera, obviously you're using a limited amount of shots and it's going to cost you like a whole bunch of money. You've got to get it processed. You've got to wait for it to come back from the lab. It's like Christmas. It's great. It's like the olden days, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeldy. The precious, the precious <laughs> photo. Um, so I think that kind of mentality is maybe something that is interesting to push into all types of photography like less about like mass and more about a sort of a slower more considered process mm. and you know I've just come back from holiday actually and um you know I, I don't think I take particularly good photos but I was I was also seeing my mum's family who I've not seen for years in the Philippines and we just had the best time um I can't speak, sadly, to Gallog, and a lot of them could only speak to Gallog. So we're just enjoying each other's company. And then I was like, oh, have you got any photos of my mum growing up and or, you know, anything like that? Mm. And they were like, oh, somewhere. And it was so funny because all the younger kids around the tables, they they, they have not grown up with physical photos. And they, they were all taking photos on their phone. And someone got out the boxes of photos. And they're all prints. And, all prints. Yeah. and it was, as you said, the word precious. It felt so precious. And they were all completely mixed up. So we were going from like the 60s and the 80s and so on. And I really, you know, and now spending time with you because I've just got back, I was thinking how wonderful those little moments are. And sort of fuzzy bits and people are looking in all directions because it's not this curated photo mm -hmm. where everyone's smiling on command and or it's been edited to be the best picture. And I just thought it was so special and it, it really it really was a really lovely moment looking looking back at the old days with everybody. There's something quite magical about it. I think it's, it's really interesting to see how pictures of people change with the kind of cameras that you use. Like now it is, like you said, so curated because we can take a million and we can pick like the perfect picture yeah. and like just be this super like artificial and perfect version of ourselves. I had this um, uh, th this series of images that my uncle gave to my mum and my grandmother in that's in their, their living room. And it's like the generations of like the women in my family. So it's kind of interesting to see it go from 
film like smaller film cameras um of my mum and my grandma and then my great grandma was obviously with one of those really old like 10-8 cameras where you'd have to sit still for three seconds and <laughs> I think that's why all those pictures of people in the Victorian times they all just look quite scared because shocked. <laughs> <laughs> they're just having to like be totally still and like completely expressionless for like 10 seconds or however long it took to take the exposure but yeah I agree there's something really magical it is magical yeah it totally is and Carl you mentioned earlier that um workplace absences in the winter are are super high is there anything that employers um, um, people responsible for the offices and the the ambience for want of a better word at the offices could do to help out people uh, be it the lighting or times of I don't know people working at the times of day or you said lunch break is so important go out and and be outside chat to the birds anything else that people could do because we spend so much time at work yeah course, ideally during the winter you should start working later mm-hmm up here in the winter, people get up when it's dark and they come home when it's dark and the few hours of daylight they spend in the office and the poor brain doesn't know if it's night or days. So it means you're in a constant state of jet lag. The brain is semi-asleep and it compensates with coffee and sugar to keep going. Uh, what you can do, and say, in an office or in factory school is to have quality lighting. Uh, there is light and light, and what often happens that people buy the cheapest bulbs available, or even worse, in the studio where I'm sitting, they've got fluorescent tubes, which are some of the worst light sources ever. It's impossible to replicate sunlight, because the sun is a star, and you simply don't hang a star in your ceiling, no way, and you ever will. But we can imitate it as closely as we can get a spectrum that's reasonably close to daylight. And what is often used today in industry known as dynamic lighting, you try to imitate the sunrise, change of colors. We heard our good photographer comment on that. And then towards noon, the colors change in the afternoon, in the evening. And you have a color spectrum that somehow imitates the natural cycle of sunlight, also known as human-centric lighting. Because we're originally outdoor animals. Humans are not meant to sit in offices at all. Our eyes, our brains are meant to live outdoors, to look at much larger distances, to move a lot more than we do. So another aspect is, like we mentioned, go out, move your body, move your eyes, train them, and get some circulation into your brain. Mm. You know what, I was just remembering school. Do you remember when you'd walk into school in the winter and it would be so bright and... Yeah, I was, you know, those those um, long, long, thin bulbs, and often they would flicker and they'd give you a yeah. headache, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. and, I'm sure they do. Yeah, and and I I wonder now, kids, you know, uh, I remember my school playing field was almost going to get sold off at one point, and the 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 um, lack of time we had outdoors, and I I wonder, you know, the the um, impact it has on kids attention and how much information they can process and hang on to with with those crazy lights and then I think I don't know not in my school we didn't have it but am I right in thinking a lot of kids have um computers to use at home now to do their homework and just all of that light indeed, indeed. yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. any any tips for parents on how they can um support their kids on the with light hygiene what is known if you go back to granny's days for example of 
two generations back, electricity was pretty rare. And people would follow the natural rhythm of sun and moon and daylight. They would spend a lot more time outdoors. Much work was done outdoors. And it's also known that those generations rarely used any glasses. So modern kids, modern office rats, often tend to wear glasses. And they're myopic, their eyesight is failing already with kids. And many of the artificial light sources also includes a monitor, a mobile phone. The screen is usually flickering and it radiates in a daylight spectrum. So the monitors are made to imitate daylight, but that's a bluish light. And if you use that going to bed, the brain doesn't know what's happening. So the brain interprets bluish light. It's a summer sky, bright blue skies. It's time to be awake. And then towards sunset, it goes into orange. It goes into pink, pink skies at night. Photographer's delight or shepherd's delight. <laughs> Everybody's delight. Everybody's delight. Thanks, Carl. And Nina, you talked about the blues, the oranges and, mm-hmm. and so on. Any other colours of to note? Um, yeah, well, so we do in, in the evenings, we have red and orange and yellow and pink going exactly what Carl's saying in terms of replicating that sort of sunset. And then in the mornings, we have um, yellows and blues. And, and yeah, again, we only really use light frequencies that really have like a significant impact rather than just like throwing any old colour in there just because just it looks pretty. That's what we What use. are the positive effects of green? Am I right in thinking it's calming? Um, I mean, yeah, psychologically, yeah, that's yeah. what we associate green with. But um, green has a similar effect to blue, not as intense, but yeah, the idea is that it kind of have, has a sort of similar melatonin suppressing effect. So we don't really tend to use green because we use blue and that's the most mm. beneficial really. Um, so yeah, that's why I say we don't just throw any old colour in yeah. there. It's always it's always so got a reasoning out. behind it. Because yeah. Um, our yeah our focus is more on kind of what what how can we make this a better experience for you in terms of your health and your sleep and your mood uh, rather than just you know being. Like, hey, guys, pretty colours. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. There's going to be chroma yogas everywhere soon. There yeah. has to be. Right. So we are at the end of the show today. Thank you so much, everybody. Tell us where we can find you, Nina. Uh, you can go to chromayoga.co.uk to book a class and read more about our classes. Or you can follow us on Instagram at chroma.yoga. Amazing. And Vicky, where can we find you? Um, you can see my pictures on my website, uh, which is Vicky, V-I-C-K-I dash king. Dot com or my Instagram, which is underscore Vicky King. Amazing. And Carl, your book, where can we find it? Should be out in the bookstores and it's coming out in the US in February now. So it should be worldwide, even coming out in Russia next year. Oh, fantastic. So that is Light Your Life, available everywhere and coming out in Russian. Fantastic. I don't know what I don't know what they call it in Russian, but that's the British title, yes. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much. So right. thank you. Thank you. And uh, thank you so much, everybody, for joining us, anyone that's listening in to Live Life Better. I'm going to be back next week to explore one of the other senses. If you'd like to know more about the guests on this show, head over to virgin.com forward slash podcasts. And of course, I would love to hear from you. Get involved with the conversation on Twitter at Virgin using the hashtag Live Life Better. Live Life Better is a Pixu production for Virgin. From me, Melissa Hemsley, goodbye.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.